0: Welcome to BAFTA's Heritage Podcast, featuring monthly conversations on films, TV programs and games, recognized by the Academy since 1947. Find out more about how BAFTA has been celebrating and inspiring creative excellence at BAFTA.org forward slash heritage.
1: Fabulous to see uh, Red Shoes uh, on the big screen. It'd lovely to see so many of you here. We were playing it particularly because it's been a huge inspiration for our guests tonight. We're going to have an onstage conversation for a little while and then take some questions from the audience. Please welcome to the stage actor, director, musician and all-round extraordinarily good guy Andy Serkis. Andy. So
2: let's start with your own relationship with the Red Shoes. When did you first see it? Um, I think I first saw it when I was about uh, nine or ten, I think. And um, there was there was a there must have been a season on TV of uh, Powell and Pressburger movies, and I distinctly remember seeing uh, the Red Shoes and uh, a Matter of Life and Death in very very close, um, you know, very close to each other, and being uh, just completely blown away and transported and terrified and. Um, you know, I just thought I'd seen magic. Basically, I just witnessed the most incredible magic, and uh, and and yeah, and they never left me. Those those two films never left me, and particularly the Red Shoes, which kind of then went on to, at various points in my life, became a you know huge source of inspiration for for projects and characters and and life, basically.
1: I think sometimes people forget, and I'm very glad that you brought it up very early on the fact that there is an element of fear and horror in The Red Shoes, there's so much else to talk about, but there are things in it that, particularly if you see as a child, are genuinely scary. I'm still haunted by the image of the shoes tying themselves, and it is something which really sort of haunted my nightmares. No, absolutely,
2: and I mean that, you know the brilliant um, design work, uh, Hein Heckworth, Heckworth's um, uh, designs for this show uh, were, a, were a huge part of that, and that's what I think. That that whole central section, that uh, surrealist design, uh, w- was certainly what what haunted me. That the, the grotesque characters, that kind of lean in towards her as she's being pulled by by this massive creative obsession uh, into 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 the other side. You know, uh, is just those 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 moments that that sort of level of of surrealism mixed in with reality mixed in with visceral kind of um I don't know, visceral kind of, uh, you know, just just pu- pu- pulling you into it. For, uh, that's what really, really got me. I think.
1: Now I said actor, director, musician. I left out, of course, painter, which is part of one of the reasons that you love the film is because you started out as a painter as an artist.
2: That's right. I mean, before I even had any uh, desires to become an actor at all, I, I always wanted to paint, and uh, and and and. Painting, I suppose, then became um, when I re- went to university. Um, uh, I, I didn't realize actually when I went to university you had to go, you had to do in your first year another subject. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just wanted to paint and create art. Um, And there happened to be a a theatre studies department, which was pretty good, and I thought, oh, well, maybe I can do something in that, and paint and design sets or posters, which I did. And then then I started to act in productions, and then by the end of the first year, I decided that I wanted to act and never spoke to my parents again. For a long time, and uh, and but but that but painting was always but has always influenced um, me in m- my life as an actor and performer, and and the whole world of performance capture and uh, the characters that have come out of you know of, of that world have been inspired by you know by by paintings and uh, you know. Uh, when I think back to artists like, you know, like, like uh, in the, 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 the kind of German expressionist artists, um, Max Ernst, and uh, w- when I was playing Gollum, uh, Salvador Dali, and and Egon Sheila, and all these artists, uh, you know, I, I got as much from them as from looking at text in terms of informing. The life of a character, I suppose. I um, have friends tonight: uh, the great Mike Wycross and Paul Virag. Um, sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. You know, the film about Ian Jury and and the the way that um, the way that the life of that character was also Ian was incredibly inspired by by art and uh, and the way that we approached that movie was uh, was this was this kind of conflagration of of um, uh, you know of of. of a living painting almost at times the on stage, the theater of it the the, the bringing together of, of, of the great things that inspire me in my life which are you know love life art and creative obsession all sort of wrapped up into one and it's sort of that that's that that, that was that was so those early um, years I suppose again playing um uh, another another back, sort of backstage film, Topsy Turvy. Mike Lee's yeah. Topsy Turvy. The, the Leonid Massine character in this was a huge inspiration for the, for the. I played this choreographer, John Doban, who choreographed all the Savoy operas um, during, uh, you know, um, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan's era at, at, the, at the Savoy, and 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 that was a huge inspiration over the, the nine months of rehearsals that we did for that film. Um, I want to talk to you about
1: creative obsession, but before I do, let's say something about the colour of the film, because you've talked about painting and design, and actually one of the most remarkable things, seeing the red shoes on the big screen, is that the colour is so extraordinary. Do you want to say something about the palette of the film and how that
2: is important? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, we're watching this, and and I uh, remember um, seeing... I don't know if anybody here has ever seen the footage before it was restored, but it is—you know—it's. Has anybody seen that the kind of the original fo- the footage? I mean, it is a different kettle of fish watching this uh, restored to techn- the Technicolor that that makes it so yeah. brilliant. And Jack Cardiff's extraordinary—you uh, know—he was the director of photography, and the way that he worked with uh, Hein Heckroth, uh, the, the, the designer, to to create the palette for this movie. I mean, they're all they're all colours that that really speak to me. Obviously, the red. Um, uh but 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 just those vibrant ochres and and um kind of and, and vermilions and um kind of uh, ultramarine kind of color it's just they they just their colors that really m- race my heart so 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 that, so for many many reasons the the um the design of the movie um i mean for instance the the central ballet the the actual ballet the red shoes ballet was was created mm-hmm. as, a, as an animatic. There was as a series of paintings before it was ever performed. So they had the music to create this extraordinary kind of 1948 version of, a, of an animatic, which, you know, a, 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 this brilliant, and, and, and a, you should see it if you can, and it's on DVD extras of, of, of you can get a copy of it. Um, it is this marvelous living painting, which, which is driven by the music. And, and he and Jack Cardiff got together to, to, to inform each other about how the, how the film would actually be shot.
1: You mentioned it's available on DVD. Of course, uh, people could also go to the BFI Play where it's available with a fabulous introduction. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs>
1: that, um, that thing about the colour of it being important, Mark Scorsese said that the first time he ever saw it, as a child, he saw it on television in black and white. So he saw the red shoes in black and white, which <laughs> takes out. And he said he kind of fell in love with it in black and white. And then when he saw it in colour, he almost passed out. (laughs) Because, you know, the experience was... And he has later said, it's the film that plays in my heart. And there are so many filmmakers who talk about Powell and Pressburger's work in that way, a matter of life and death, but particularly Red Shoes. As a filmmaker, why do you think it resonates so strongly with other filmmakers?
2: I, I think anyone who has an interest in, or who is a creative person in any way, um, whose life becomes defined by what they do, uh, to an ex- to the extent that someone like Scorsese, you know, and and Coppola, and you know, so many directors. I mean, you know, Matt Wright not you know, not least. Um, you know, we we are. There's just something about this. Um, the charge of the the, the central character, the, well, not the central character. Boris Lermontov's character, that that command and authority, and and if you're going to be in charge of creating art, you kind of want to be like him, really. You kind of want, <laughs> you kind of <laughs> somehow want to have that kind of level of obsession. It's a, it's a romantic version of a v- vision of it, but but actually, m- to a certain extent, ev- anyone who is involved in the creation of art does live with that. I mean, you know, if. If if tomorrow we were to find out there was a you know I was opening a play tomorrow night and and you know Donald Trump was about to press the button on a, on, on a nuclear holocaust I would be worried about the play and, <laughs> and forgetting my lines and uh, that that is that's the kind of. The the life you live, you you don't have a choice over it. You 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 are you are drawn to it to an obsessive degree, and 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 to a certain extent, your life is shaped around that. Um, and I think I think that's you know when he says it, it's the it's the movie of, that plays in his heart. I completely you know there are there are movies or books or. Pieces of music, so that, that that piece of music that are they are the soundtracks to our lives. That you know, there's an album that inspires you that, that you keep returning to, and you can't live without. Or a book, or a, or a film. You know, that that's they are almost they are they are the Bible that 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 you carry, that charges you, that that you can always return to and and be nourished by and, and loved by in a way. You know. You talk about um, the, you mentioned the theatre.
1: One of the interesting things with Red Shoes is obviously it's dealing with the theatrical performance. Recently I saw, and I know you did as well, the Matthew Bourne stage show of the Red Shoes, which is inspired by the film. So it's a weird kind of, it's going from theatre to the stage and then, you know. How do you feel about the relationship between cinema and theatre, particularly in relation to the work that you are now doing, with performance capture and the way in which that is breaking down the boundaries of what we classically think of as cinema, um, I, I,
2: I think that there are. For me, I've you know people people sort of say to me, you know, when you play a performance captured character, for instance, you know, do you do you think any differently? Do you do you what do you do? And I and I for for me, the becoming becoming a character. Doesn't make any difference whether you're whether you're playing a character in a movie or whether you're playing a character in a play or you know the the the, the, the embodiment of a role doesn't make any difference. Um, so that so so whether uh, and, and it's sort of tangential, but in, in a way, but it, it'll come back to what you're talking about. Um, you know, for instance, creating a character. I love the fact
1: that you just apologised for a, for a, for a take for a circular before you take well, well it. Well, i got
2: it's a long one. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, I, I think there, are, there are all that there are obviously, and this film proves it. You know, there is a great harmonious um, uh, love affair between cinema and theatre. Yeah. Um, and, and there are so many films that um, that that you know. I mean, *Topsy Turbin, you know, being being one of them. But but you know, *The Black Swan*. Uh, well, Rage, *Raging Bull*, actually, which is Martin Scorsese's. Um, Poem, love poem to um, to to the red shoes, yeah, because absolutely. the boxing gloves for him are the red shoes, yeah. and this obsession that that Jake LaMotta has with boxing that he cannot escape is you know right down that to the sense. tying up and the way in which they're once A- they're on they're on absolutely yeah. you know that 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 sense of um, you know height a heightened I mean what I love about every single frame of this movie is it is both theatrical it is both and, and obviously steps off into surrealism but actually it is real and theatrical at the same time so the emotions are real uh, the the way it's framed um, is extremely at times uh, like a painting every single frame is, is is like is like a painting and yet it has life and so um, I think I think there is this there is this you know common ground this huge common ground between theatre and, and film and performance capture bizarrely and we started to talk about it earlier you know is you know you, when when you create a character so performance capture for those of you who aren't so kind of au fait with it is 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 the art of an actor playing a digital character an actor playing a role of something that is other, something that is like like Gollum or or King Kong or Caesar in Planet of the Apes, or something that is not a a, a rendition of the actor as themselves, an avatar character. Um, And in order to create those characters, you have to step into this. Bizarre world, I suppose of a magic mirror so you can look into this magic mirror and see the design of this digital character come to life By your movement, so if I were to lift my right arm up Then I would see King Kong or Caesar or Gollum lift his right arm up in real time So it is like a magic mirror. It is this surreal, um, you know, stepping through the looking-glass moment Um, and 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 yet you can you could you know if we were all to do to do to get involved in a play together for instance, and we all had characters and we were all uh, and you all came to our performance capture studio at the Imaginarium, we, I'd put a suit on you with dots, and you'd all you'd all be actors in very silly kind of sort of leotard suits with dots, <laughs> but then I would be able to look into a monitor and I would be able to see all of you as these extraordinary characters in a real time animation with set which has interactive lighting and you would all come to life in, in, in the most extraordinary way much like you see the characters on the screen here but 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 you know i mean you could be playing godzilla or you could be uh, chewbacca or you could be you know you would you would you, and they would we would all exist in harmony together in this extraordinary uh, world i haven't taken any drugs tonight and uh, <laughs> and, and, and um <laughs> but but i mean that the fact of the matter is we could shoot a drama in one day we could we could play out the whole thing as a piece of theater and then i could go back afterwards and then you could all go and sit down and then and then i could go in afterwards with a camera and choose my shots and you would have done your work. You would have. We would have caught you. It's performance capture. We would have caught your performances. You would only have had to have done it once if you'd done it really well. And then, and then, and then, and then it becomes down to you know how you you frame it. So I think what I'm saying is there is, and I told you it was tangential. There, there is, there is, there is, there is this kind of energy, it's because, because the performance, the, 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 the chemical exchange, if you like, of, of, of performance, um, dancing with a camera is, is, um, or, or dancing with other actors on a stage is, is very much amounts to the same thing. You mentioned that um, that there's
1: a, a moment in Red Shoes that seemed directly to feed into Gollum, and that the moment that that you first see the ring, do you want to tell us where that
2: is? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was, I was saying to Mark, you know, earlier, the, the for me again going back to the obsessive kind of, kind of power of, of of this of the of the Red Shoes ballet to what it means to different characters um, reminded reminded me very much of, of um, you know Gollum's obsession with the ring. The moment where Craster is first asked to write the Red Shoes. And he, and he suddenly, the, the, the sound closes in around him and he goes into his own head and he is totally absorbed by the creative possibility of what he's gonna write and in that moment there is absolutely nothing else on the planet that means anything to him apart from the Created possibility for me. That reminded me of, of 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 something that is as powerful as as the obsession of Gollum finding you know finding the ring, um, you know, uh, uh, and and then he's he's brought back into to, to, to the real world. So so it's and uh, uh, you know that's 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 what I that's why I, that's why I adore this film is it, it does you know it really t- viscerally kind of. In, um, investigates uh, what it is to be completely swallowed up by by creative possibility.
1: You were talking about doing the uh, the theatrical stuff in real time, and I know that you've done live theatre stuff. You've done a real time avatar of Ariel in the Tempest. I mean, how did that
2: work? Yeah, I mean that's that was an experiment. You know, we're we really we really are I think on the verge of. Um, a big transformation in the way uh, stories are, are, are going to be told in the future. In the next 10 years, if you imagine how things have changed, how you know computers have changed um, uh, our lives, but we, but certainly in terms of entertainment and how movies have changed, um, you know we are in, on a tipping point. I, I believe in terms of what we want or some people want, a lot of people want, um, in terms of entertainment. And that is that is immersive uh, storytelling, um, being part of the story, being, being you know, as much as we feel that we're part of a story, it is still a passive experience. But I think there is a real level of desire, a big level of desire, to, to, to be immersed in um, in drama and, and great narrative storytelling, where you are part of that journey, where you are almost the central character, or you can experience the, the, the characters. Um, and the first step towards that was, was us this last year um, trying to bring performance capture into theatre so in real time you can create uh, an avatar character on stage where you can see you know, the actor playing Prospero relating to Um, the actor on stage who's in a motion capture suit, but we've got cameras in there which are then projecting real-time avatars of that character onto different surfaces, onto different areas of the stage. And so Prospero can relate to to, uh, Ariel, uh, as an avatar as well as the actor. And th- this, I think, is, is you know, we're beginning to take... Obviously, with virtual reality now and mixed reality and all these new platforms, we're using video game engines that can render in real time. We, we are very, very close to finding ways of telling, you know, of doing... For instance, a, a, you know, a completely virtual interpretation of, of the Red Shoes. You could you could actually create the, the world of the Red Shoes and be on stage in that ballet with them flying around you, um, and and witnessing it happen at close quarters. And I don't mean a kind of photo real version. That's that's possible now. But I mean to to, to see avatar characters that that become other, um, you know, in, in in this in this world. So so I, I do think that that's it's we are re- you know we're getting to a point where one the the important thing is. Nobody's found a way of monetizing it yet because I mean, and that's that's a crucial thing. It's like cinemas are proven way of getting people through the door, and but but it, but it's yet to be really the turning point in terms of how to make it accessible as a as a as a, as a you know, as, as as much as we all have iPhones now. Um, to, to actually have a pair of virtual reality goggles where you can be involved in oh, I'm going to watch the red shoes, but it's going to be all around me, and um, is a is probably going to be in about you know, the next two or three years, I reckon.
1: One of the things I love about the way you talk about cinema is that you talk with huge enthusiasm. I mean, you are really passionate about it, and you've talked about the the, the obsessive thing which works for you with the red shoes. Let me ask you about... You know, Powell and Pressburger are very, very revered filmmakers, but people forget that... The people that loved Powell and Pressburger, the Ken Russells and Nick Rogues of this world, loved them because they actually weren't doing what we thought of as classic British cinema. They were making Fantasias, they were making colorful films. Ken Russell's mother famously used to say to him, is it a British picture? By which she meant, is it in black and white and features people sitting around sinks complaining? <laughs> which is the absolute opposite of Powell, you know, what we get from Powell and Pressburger. Do you think that if Powell and Pressburger were working today they would be working in the area that you're talking because you're talking about cutting edge cinema, and I look at some of the techniques in their films, some of the stuff that's involved in the, the visuals of Matter of Life and Death, some of the stuff that Jack Cardiff was doing with, you know, they are essentially at the very cutting edge of what was available back then.
2: A hundred percent, I'm convinced that they would be standing in a performance capture studio, creating, you know, create, you know, creating a yeah. version of the Red Shoes that would be. Totally, totally supported by the new by, by, by the new tech. I, do, I absolutely believe they would because they were groundbreakers. I mean, you know, there were post-war filmmakers who were. I mean. Can't imagine what it must have been like to see that in 1948. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, the, the fact is they couldn't even release it here, could they? I mean, they they had the rank didn't even want to release yeah. it here, and they had to show it in a, some dodgy old American cinema for two, you know, which ran for two years in one cinema in New York, I think. It
1: was. But the, well, the most extraordinary thing about the, their entire catalogue is that we now we revere most of it, but most of it had to fight for its own space because there were certain things that they made that everyone thought that was great, but anything that was experimental, anything that had any edge of experimental immediately became difficult, which is why I ask you about that, because, you know, you're working in an area which, as you know, some people who work in cinema, are, they're sniffy about virtual reality, they're sniffy about performance capture. I mean, we still have to see the awards catch up with the idea of a performance capture, performance being being proper acting. So that's why I wonder whether you feel that what you're doing now is actually what they would have been doing were they working in the 21st century.
2: I, I absolutely believe that. I mean I really do. And I mean it's it's very interesting how kind of there is has been, you know, up until about 15 years you know, not maybe 10 years ago, there was for instance the relationship of film to video games. There was this incredible snobbery um about, uh, you know uh, from from the film, from the film world towards video game creators. And you look at you look at every single big blockbuster movie now. Um, every all the technology that was used, so the rendering power of you know of, of, of um, and, and the performance capture technology, all of that stuff, that was sort of looked down on. That the video game engine has become such a Huge tool in the creation of of previs or you know animatics um, for for big blockbuster movies now and even to the point where it rend they render so fast now it can be used as a, as a as a finished um, as a finished tool you know as a finished uh, piece of. Um, work rather. So do you see yourself
1: now primarily as a filmmaker or do you think that we're now in an area of some larger form of entertainment which somehow combines theatre and cinema and VR because one of the things I remember most profoundly about seeing Red Shoes in a cinema the first time is that sense of it taking you onto the stage. I mean, I hadn't really seen backstage stuff before then, but I did feel like you were being led onto the stage. And then again, seeing the Matthew Bourne red shoes, it did feel like that's what it felt like watching the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of Blurring those worlds. Well, I think, I mean, if
2: you... How many people here have been to a secret cinema event? Right. I mean, those, those are kind of what I think is really interesting. The combination of... Um, you know, a, 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 theater, a film event, which is then, the, it, ble- it comes off the screen. So that, so that. I mean, I actually watched uh, some YouTube footage of the, of the Red Shoes um, Secret Cinema event, and it looked incredible. It looked like this whole world surrounding the film that was just so vibrant and immersive and engaging and, and kind of getting your senses firing all over the place. Um, you know, I, I imagine that that we will have more more of that kind of uh, entertainment combined with. Um, if you might be familiar, some of you, with punch drunk theatre or site specific theatre. You know, but imagine that with wearing mixed reality goggles, where you, again you can see real people, but then you can see avatar characters in the same environment. I mean, one of the things one of the things I really want to do, and when I, we started the Imaginarium. It was, which is your studio. Which is our performance capture studio. One of the first things I wrote down on a piece of paper was I want to create a club like the Cantina in Star Wars, (laughs) where you go in. You do know it's not real. No, well, (laughs) this is going to be real. Where you where you where you go in and you and and it's like it's like the equivalent of karaoke or or bowl, going bowling with mates. You know, what can you do? And this is the thing about monetizing the next generation of storytelling. It's like it's like, you know, people go out in groups and have a really good time doing things. But what what if you could um, Go in, to, you know, you go, you pay, you pay your money, you go in, and you, you, you put on these bracelets and things around your ankles, and then you get a pair of virtual reality goggles, and you go to a menu, and you choose the character that you want to be for the night, and you go in through the door, and you go in, and you, because you're in the virtual world, everyone is as their character. And that you sit down and you have a drink, and what you're drinking is maybe a gin and tonic, but actually it looks like this amazing fucking concoction, you know, and you're kind of like going, you know, like that. And then, and then you know, as I say, I've had no drugs tonight. <laughs> But, but, it's, it's, you know, you are, you're you're in this thing, and then on stage comes you and your band, and you... Thank you for including <laughs> me, that's great. <laughs> and you're in motion capture suits, and then you perform, you know, some amazing, um, um, extraordinary... OK, silent, I would do silent. that,
1: but only if our <laughs> avatars were you. It was an entire band of you on stage. So, so you, that is effectively making film, theatre, live experience, blending them all together into the same thing. Yeah. And I think... That you've taken some of that from falling in love with the red shoes at the age of nine, I think you've seen that early on, and you've thought that's kind of the the
2: future of it. Definitely. Well, I mean, I probably wouldn't have imagined that I would, you know, uh, 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 at that point. But, uh, but of course, but, but, but it's, I suppose, incrementally, one thing's led to another. I mean, when. there was a big dividing point in my life when of when, when, you know, taking the role of Gollum because it led me off into an area where it would be possible to engage in a technology that would then allow this sort of thinking to happen. And that that I can't I can't even imagine how I got there really, because I nearly turned it down. And that's and that's like Moira Sheeran nearly turned this yeah. down. You know. Um, so which
1: character are you in red shoes if you had to be one of them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh,
2: interesting. Um, um I think I'd like to think I'm a bit, a bit of all three of them, really. Um, you know, so, or certainly at different points in my life I felt like... Um, like, like um, OK. I mean, I know, I, know, I know now having a company and, you know, I, I can understand the pressures of, that Boris goes through, for sure, and the risk of, you know, j- risking and then, and then facing failure or, or having to overcome it. Um, certainly from, from a performance point of view and falling in love with a role and, 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 and having to find that emotional correct... Connection that that Moira Shearer's character does, um, and then choosing, and then and then and then and, and, and you know with Craster is this uh, obsessive, you know the thing that keeps me, you know as I was telling you, I don't sleep very well. I, I mean, I yeah, you I, sleep how many hours a night? Probably about four four hours a night. I mean, and, and because there are so many things going on, and and it's just like, you know.
1: But so you literally sleep four hours and then you carry on and you work and you function as a perfect... And then I
2: fall asleep during the day, but I mean. <laughs>
1: Mostly during visual effects reviews. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, so, you know, I have to say, I hope you've noticed any. I am wearing red shoes. Yes, you are. So these, are these are my knackered old dogs. But the reason I'm wearing knackered old dogs <laughs> is because I'm wearing red shoes in honour of the fact that I would be more sure. We have... Do you want to take some questions from the audience? Oh, are you OK? Absolutely. If you, yes, we go there. Um, are we running a microphone down or are we shouting? There's a microphone coming. So this is so that you can be heard by the people in the back as well. So, Thank you.
0: No.
3: Hi. Um, first of all, thank you. This is the first time I ever uh, saw this movie, and it's been truly an experience. So uh, thank you for actually picking that one. And my question is, well, I'm a huge fan of your work and your influence toward for the motion captures you did in the industry. But from a perspective of an actor, what would you consider being more difficult to uh, play a role that has a lore behind it, like a golem in Lord of the Rings books or even something like Caesar because you have uh, previous movies or, I don't know, uh, someone like Julius Claus in the Black Panther, you know, with the whole Marvel comic, or a completely original character like Snoke in the new Star Wars movies. What would you find more difficult to play? Someone with established history or completely more original and what's your approach to it?
2: Um, I, I, I mean, I love the challenge of, 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 of you know starting with a blank canvas where, where there's nothing, and you're you're responsible for, for, for creating everything about that character. Equally, I, I adore playing people who have existed, you know, people like um, like Ian Jury, uh, for instance, or Albert Einstein, and um, and and so I, I think you're, there are there are you know different um, challenges. In, in them, but uh, it, it, you have to, you know, when you're playing someone who has existed or someone who is real, or a character, or a fictional character that people are that, that, are be, uh, that are beloved by by millions of people, um, you can either choose to be very afraid, because you think, well, everybody's got an authority on this character, or you can kind of go, and what you have to do is kind of go, I can only tell my version of this character. I can only ever do that. You know, you, you collate as much information about it, you know, say Gollum or, you know, uh, uh, but 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 ultimately it has to be you know here is you and there's the character and, and maybe the character is quite a long way away uh, but you have to find that point of connection and then it's all about um, how f- you know where 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 does the Venn diagram where does the Venn diagram cross over you know is it close to me here or is it am I reaching you know a long way away from from me, myself and and that's the challenge of playing either a character that is real or or you know, in, in, or becomes real through being fictionalised in other ways and is beloved. So it's, it's a, it, it is, um, you know, I, I, what I'm saying is I, I like all, all, all of those challenges, I suppose.
3: Thank you.
1: Uh, at the back there, and then we'll come down to there. So.
3: Thank you. Hi, uh, big fan, uh, particularly of your more technological work as well as your large repertoire. Uh, and forgive the more technical question, but um, have you explored uh, performance capture in the realm of physical robotic characters and less digital? Oh, in
2: in in a sense of like animatronic type. Yes, yes. Characters. Um, no, not really. I mean, I mean the, the world that I've really dealt with has been much more, um, much more in the virtual and, and and digital world. So, no, I've not. It, but, but, but just elaborate on that. How do you How do you mean?
3: Um, I suppose. Um, I suppose in uh, the world of animatronics, there there's a great deal of difficulty in creating believable <laughs> movements. Um, and uh, there's a great deal in lacking in the physicality of a lot of robotic characters, either characters that are actual robotic uh, robots or characters uh, that have a robotic skeleton. Um, and uh, I was wondering if your research had led you to look into creating a more lifelike representation um, of animatronic characters that would be physically present on stage uh, with performance capture,
2: so some kind of animatronic puppeteering, in a sense, yes, sort of right. bringing life, imbuing life to a character that was. Um, I mean, there there are people who are extraordinary at doing that, like the Henson, Henson the Henson Workshop, you know, who are amazing at doing that, who, who can imbue. And it's very simple, you know. In a way, it's a very similar thing. You're you're you you are embodying a character. You are the life and soul of that character, and you're imbuing it through incredible uh, puppetry. Um, that is not not what I do, but um, but I but <clears throat> you know in terms of say a, a, another sort of track, what you're talking about, we work with uh, we work with James Spader, for instance, who was working on, on the Age of Ultron, um, and helped him to create that ca- the robot character of Ultron, and of course. You can do all the research you like but until and we were trying to find methods of you know how Ultron would walk how his how his joints would work being robotic because he needed to feel a sort of alive like a Pinocchio that had come alive but he was a robot um, but ultimately it took really it took the actor to come in and find it for himself I mean we we, we had for instance I mean performance capture is when you're putting markers on it's, it's a lot about physics it's how you create the right physics for a character so to make to make the robot looked like he he moved with robotic feet. We we tried a pair of ski boots on him and marked that up to see what it would be like to have a hard surface every time his feet hit the floor, for instance. So you you try and you you try all these different um, you know wearing weights or restrictors or kind of the, you know. But ultimately, it's character and it's about it's about creating a character and imbuing something with a character's life. Thank
1: you. Just uh, here. Thank
3: you. Hi, Andy, thank you for this wonderful evening. I was uh, wondering, which were your feelings when uh, Peter Jackson approached you with this challenging idea of the performance of Gollum, and then how this uh, experience led you to the creation of Imaginarium? Wow, that's a long question.
2: I mean, that's a long answer. That's a very long answer. Um, but uh, just very briefly, um, well, it was interesting because because really the first the first notion that I had heard about Peter Jackson creating Lord of the Rings was my agent calling up and saying, they're doing this film of Lord of the Rings down in New Zealand and they're looking for someone to do the voice of a digital of a, of a character. Um, and I said, oh my God, can, look, there must be a dozen decent roles in that movie. Can't you get me out for a proper role? And um, and and then they said, well, it's Gollum. And I and I said, well. Um, oh well, gollum Light's oh, a really good character. Okay. Well, how, how, how are they going to do it? And, they, and at that time, it was very unclear because this technology didn't exist—and well, didn't exist in the way that we know it now. Anyway. Yeah. Um, it had been gu- begun to be examined. And, and I remember when I met Peter, he said to me, "Look, I don't know exactly how we're going to do this, but we're going to—you f- know—I want an actor to play the role." And, and crucially, that was the big turning—a big, a big turning point in itself, because up to that point. Virtual uh, uh, characters really existed as uh, those kinds of characters really existed as visual effects. They were the property of the visual effects department. So other actors on stage had to just imagine what that character would be like. Um, So Pete was saying, actually, we want someone to, you know, why should the actors playing Frodo and Sam have to make decisions for a character that doesn't exist when we can have someone be there and become that character, even though. So he said, you know, you will finally not be manifested on screen as yourself. You'll be manifested on scene as a CG character, but you will be the character. I don't know how we're going to do it, but let's, you know, do you want to do it? And, and I suppose that, that, was, that was a challenge that, you know, you couldn't turn down. And then over the years, of course, when we were shooting the movie, it became defined through, you know, through, through us collaborating, really, I suppose. And, and then that, that then became a much further collaboration um, and working on other films. Like King Kong, and then going back and reprising uh, the Hobbit and, and Tintin and lots of other films, um, and all the time I was sort of learning and desiring to direct my own projects using this technology and other and make tell other stories too. So that so that was that was really how the Imaginarium, I came back from from. Um, doing King Kong and uh, and realised that there was nowhere in the UK that was capable of creating uh, performance capture to the level that I'd been used to in New Zealand. In fact, I was directing a video game and we came to shoot it and it was just like, where are we going to shoot it? And I had to take the entire crew over to New Zealand to, to <laughs> shoot it. And try to fly them twenty-six thousand miles. I don't even know how the company let me do it, actually. But we all, we shot it with Wetter, who were the only people who were qualified enough to do it. So th- I came back and said, "We've got a f- we've got a f- found a company here that pushes the art and craft, the performance capture, and and you know, um, you know, it, it examines the future possibilities of it." I suppose.
1: That was brilliantly concise. <laughs> I am really impressed. Uh, yeah, we'll go here, and then we'll go to over there. So, yeah.
3: thanks. So, uh, first of all, thank you uh, for me also first time to actually seeing the red shoes. Brilliant film. Uh, so, what I think, or what interests me personally, is because I've been studying your behind the scene footage from Lord of the Rings and from Planet of the Apes in movement class, at drama school. So, um, as an actor myself, because I've never, I've never dabbled in performance capture myself after you've played Gollum, did that it does it add another level of freedom to your performance and this is why you actually decided to continue that in your career to actually being in the suit, but then your character does look completely different when you're on screen. So yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely is the answer I mean that's what has been so exciting about about it as I mean I really do believe it's the greatest 21st century tool for an actor because no matter who you are no matter what the color of your skin is how tall you are how short you know what what whatever you are you know male female it doesn't matter you can climb inside the role of, of, a, of a character and so you're not limited by and you can never be typecast. You can never be st- stereotyped. You can have, people can't put you or pigeonhole you or put you in a box because this magic tool allows you to play anything, whoever you are. And that's, that's the beauty of it. That is the beauty of it. Uh,
4: there. Um, I, I was lucky enough to lo- know Jack Cardiff the last few years of his oh, life. No. He used to come to BAFTA mm-hmm. and stuff. And uh, occasionally I'd sit with him for an hour or so in the bar and I'd ask him stupid questions like, what does red mean, Jack? And he'd say, it doesn't quite work like that. (laughs) Uh, But I remember he was, I I don't know if it was the life of Jack Cardiff, it was five or ten years ago, can't remember quite well. And he told this story to everybody here and it was that when he was a really young... well, not inexperienced, but his first job, forgive me if I get any of the details of this wrong, it's a long time ago and it's history, so you uh, you might be able to correct me. It was his first job as as a director of photography, working on a matter of life and death, and he said Michael Powell was pacing up and down, pacing up and down, going, fade in, fade in, what does every fucking scene start with, fade in? And Jack was sort of terrified, but nevertheless, he walked over and said, look through the lens, and Michael Powell, Look through the lens. It's the scene where uh, uh, David Niven's walking out the sea through the mist. So Michael Powell looked through the lens and Jack breathed on the lens and then the breath dissolved off the <laughs> lens and that's how that scene opens, which is kind of amazing and it has nothing to do with um, all the th- ways it would be done today. So uh, that's a very long story, shaggy dog story, I know, but I thought you might be interested. But the thing is, there are things that, have been going on for centuries or even thousands of years with doing drama, which don't have uh, anything to do with the things that you're specifically interested in. I'm I'm pretty sure that you're interested in in the ancient rules and customs and practices. And I wonder if you could enlighten us of some of your favorites in that direction, in terms of acting or storytelling or? those kind of things anyway does that make any
2: sense yes, no, Sorry. 100% i mean it is it is the, all we're talking about is a 21st century perhaps you know application of sitting around a campfire and telling extraordinary stories and shaman you know sh- shaman you know or, or whoever the storyteller in the village is you know you know changing the lives and and captivating their audience or 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 um i tell you who's a really big ins- inspirer for me was a theatre practitioner called Augusto Boal who, who, who created this thing called Forum Theatre. And he would go around to villages. He was, he was um, from South America and he would go around villages and isolate what the problem in the village would be, whether it be harassment from the police or, or you know, uh, drug lords or what, whatever it would be, you know, the, the health service there. And they would create a community play about that. And then they would they would start the play and then anybody in the audience could put up their hand and change the course of the action by coming in and taking the place of the main protagonist, you know the protagonist character And it was a thing called forum theater because it was a way of literally working through their community's issues and um, so I so so I, so storytelling for me you know is it's it's, it's about it's about change you know, well, any form of art, of course, is about changing society in some way or ch- altering perspective or changing the view. And you can either do it as a passive viewer or you can do it as a, as a person, you know, that is, that is, you know, interactively involved. And, and actually, I don't know why the language is changing, but it is. The language is changing. But, the, but what you're talking about is, you know, yes, the great stories. You know, this is based on Hans Christian Andersen yeah. um, fairy tale. And and how many different ways you can tell that fairy tale? I mean, this is a brilliant, beautiful um, example of it. But 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 there are so you know uh, there are if you give that to any if you gave that to Pedro aldamova uh, or 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 you know any other fil- you know great filmmaker they would tell it to, you know uh, Guillermo del Toro or. Who- Their version of the Red Shoes would be extraordinary because actually what's at the center of it is this most amazing tale. And you know the stories are what are handed down. The stories are the things that encapsulate us. It's just the language changes somehow. You know.
1: Uh, We'll take a couple more brief ones. I'm aware that time is getting on. So we'll go there and then there. Oh, I'm so sorry. The microphone isn't anywhere near there. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Run, Forrest, run.
0: Hello. Um, I'm a a choreographer just about to start a PhD in immersive movement um, and... Immersive
1: movement. Immersive immersive
0: movement. movement. Um, And I was wondering how you feel um, an actor uh, creating uh, a performance capture piece uh, would approach movement differently for a piece that was immersive, like the secret cinema you were describing, as opposed to a traditional piece of theatre. How would they physically interact? With an audience differently, or with a potential
2: audience. Per- perfor- performance capture is a, is a technology, so it's it's just it's just um, think if you think of it in terms of it being, and I get into trouble sometimes for saying this, but but digital makeup, you know, it's it's the equivalent of putting on a suit. That allows you to to transform. You, you know, the alternative would be to put on prosthetic makeup or to put on, you know, to become a, to become this other creature or character or being. And you get into trouble for
1: saying it from the digital.
2: Artist. Well, from from from, you know, the, there has been a sort of, you know, the, the world of course, you know, which you can't you know, you can't do a disservice because they do an extraordinary job in bringing your character to life is the visual effects side and the, uh, the artists and animators and textures and, you know, s- skin shaders and, and, and all the rest of it, that huge army of people who, who do that work. But actually, um, and, and that, you know, you, you can't underestimate that work and it gives employment to thousands of people and they all play a huge part. But actually, it's like being, you are like, um, you, be, you become the, uh, you're the author of the role, however, whichever way you cut it. So you, be, so you become you become the you're, you're the the puppeteer of this extraordinary sort of mar- marionette. Um, so I don't know if your relationship to an audience would be any different. I mean, like the actor playing Ariel in that version of, of the Tempest that we worked on, he wouldn't have approached the character of Ariel any differently. Um, it, 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 because I mean yes, there's a physicality that he would maybe bring to the character and the different characters that he and shapes the shapes that he shifted into but um, but you but you don't emotionally or um, yeah in terms of embodying the character and authoring the role it's exactly it's exactly the same. if that, if that makes sense
0: No 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 it, it does even with an audience standing directly close to you or around you or surrounding you as opposed to.
2: As opposed being, to being filmed,
0: yeah or being filmed or yeah, or being far away and on kind of theater or cinema i
2: I, I just think your relationship to the character yeah I mean obviously you're, there is a sense of projection if you're in a theater you know you have to make sure that um, that that uh, you you are reaching that you know you're emotionally connecting with the people in the back row as much as you are in the front and you have to calibrate that performance, so it's not wildly you know. <laughs> Huge for these people down here, but that it can be registered up there. So, but so I, so that yes, there is a certain amount of calibration, I guess. But but in terms of the em, em embodying of the role, I don't think there is there is any difference. Okay, one more at the back then. Hello, Andy. Um, Love the movie, um, and like a lot of great films, I was struck by um, things that I didn't see last time I watched it. I just wondered how it was for you watching the film tonight, and. Were you struck by anything different,
3: and why?
2: I mean, I, I, I've, this is the first time I've seen it on the big screen, so so for me. You've never it was, seen it projected before. No, I've never seen it wow. projected. Well, that's what that's why I, I, I was so excited. I mean, I'm so excited. <laughs> to, it's just like, oh wow, God, what film would I really like to see? You know, and, and it's just like, yeah, no, I'd never, I'd never. See. So, so um, I think the things for me, and I missed the second half, but I, but I really wanted to see. To see the ballet, um, you know, um, before I left, before I went out to talk to Mark, actually. Um, Sorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, um, but it, but I remembered. I, I remembered the um, the image of. I, I love that image of her trying to run away from run away from herself in the red shoes and try to run in through that front door and the shadow that's cast by those hands that are reaching out and trying and pulling her back and the way that the relationship is between those that that that, that immense shadow and, and her and the desperation for her to you know and the and the realization that first realization that she can't escape so that was that was certainly one of those things that tonight I saw again you know seeing it on a big screen you register things like that you know so much more
1: I'm aware that time has run away with us. It's now uh, coming up to ten past ten. So, firstly, thanks ever so much, uh, everybody, for coming along. Thank you to uh, BAFTA for organising this. Thanks to Prowl and Pressburger for making a film that continues to, you know, give up new treasures every time we see it. But please join me in thanking the absolutely fabulous and completely groundbreaking
2: the Serkis.